1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting verse 1 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of, mysteries of, of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring both, both, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. We're going to stop there and we'll pick up the rest of the chapter as we go through. But let's pray together. Father, thank you and praise you that your praise can fill our hearts. Father, that as we stand before you today, we're not justified in our works and the things that we have done, but we are sanctified, bought with a price through the cross of Calvary, that we might rejoice and be glad in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Keep your Bibles open. Uh, keep it keep it open because we're going to go through the chapter four of First Corinthians. Uh, if you've got your little Bible app, I instructed you on that last week. We've got the outline on there. Um, uh, if, if you pull that up, um, but as I was preparing and getting ready, I needed y'all with me this morning, okay? Because I felt like when I got dressed this morning, I should just paint a big old target right here. Because anytime you preach through a book, you're going to hit some things that are difficult to deal with. And in dealing with today's message, there's a lot in it about church leaders. There's a lot in it. And anytime that sort of message comes through, uh, I kind of feel like I'm just swinging the doors open and saying, hey, come criticize me. All right? You ever feel that way? All right. Well, I'm, I'm doing that this morning because we are all to be accountable. There's nobody in the church, in the body of Christ, that should be above accountability. Everyone should be under the same accountability in the Word of God and the Spirit of God um, because we are all fallible. We all make mistakes. We all uh, need to be reminded of the work of the Lord. Well, as we're finishing up these gifts of the church, how the, how the Lord has structured the church and, and gifted us with His Spirit, gifted us with a message to preach, gifted us uh, uh, with, with his, his presence, then we need to see this morning that one of the things that God does is He places people in leadership that might be able to lead others to Christ. That is our goal. Our, our goal is not to build bigger and, and, and better churches. Our goal is not to build nicer uh, facilities. Our goal is not to, 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 uh, to wear better clothes. Our goal is not to, to drive better cars. Our goal is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, whatever it takes. And Paul lays that out so clearly in this passage of Scripture, and it holds us accountable. Now, the, the prayer in this, as I'm preparing, is, okay, Lord, I'm preaching to me. What's in it for, for everyone? Some of you may be called to be a church leader. Some of you in this congregation this morning, God may raise up to be a pastor or a missionary or a mission worker or a teacher of some sort, some field of, of vocation that God will put you in. But even if not, there is a message in it. I had a fellow say a long time ago, and y'all have heard me say this before, if God's man is in God's pulpit preaching God's word, there's a message in it for you. I, I preached on tithing one time at Folsom and, and, and uh, 
we were there and I, the Lord had worked in my heart on this message and, and talked about surrender and stewardship and all these things that the Lord had lived. And a man came up at the end of service and, and accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. And my first thought when he came forward is, I don't even remember preaching salvation message this morning. But the Word of God was shared. And the Spirit of God was there. And God showed me again that it was not about the preacher in the pulpit. It was about the Word in the heart of the believer. And so there is a message in this for all of us today. I hope that we can see together. Now this first part we just read uh, down through verse 5 there. We see the implication that we are to serve responsibly. If we are going to, to teach and lead effectively for the kingdom of God, we need to understand that we have a responsibility in that. That we can't just go off doing whatever we want to do, however we want to do it. Paul has just given the, the, the church at Corinth uh, some pretty strong words here about the way they are living and about uh, the carnality of their, of their lives and how they're following the flesh and they're setting themselves up for failure and all this thing. He said, but as for us, don't give us any credit. Understand that we are servants of the Most High. We are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul understood his responsibility. He knew the weight of that responsibility. Here, here is a problem, and, and I don't use that word lightly, but I do believe it is a problem in the American church today in particular, in churches that we're not under any form of persecution, where we have this unlimited freedom and liberty to say and do however we want to. One of the problems that we have today are people who do not understand the weight and the responsibility of the Word of God. This right here is powerful. Bible says of itself, it is, a, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and spirit, even the bone and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This right here. When we stand up and we take the Word of God, we should not take the Word of God lightly. And Paul says we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Well, what did we say mysteries were? Mysteries were those things that were unknown, yet God has chosen to reveal through Christ. He has revealed these things. He's revealed His will. He's revealed His, his blessings. He's revealed His call to salvation. He's revealed the work of the church and the Holy Spirit. And as we stand up and share this word, it is not to be taken lightly. So many leaders and teachers in our culture today want to pull out a piece here, pull out a piece there, and, and, and tag some kind of catchy slogan to it, and, and, and you know, and make it some kind of theme. And, and I want to tell you, the church is not a theme park. All right, I like the fair. I enjoy going to the fair. I enjoy the rides and the games and the food and all that like everybody else. There's nothing wrong with having a good time in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with celebrating together in the body of Christ. Amen. There's nothing wrong with fellowshipping that way. But when we, when we remove the Scripture and we abort the Scripture from what it is that we're doing, then we have missed the point entirely. Because God has not called us to be a social club. God has not called us to be a committee or an organization that just gets together and does things once in a while. This right here is our purpose. And Paul says of, of his job and of our jobs uh, following him that, that we are to know the weight of that responsibility. A steward is to be found faithful. 
What does that mean? It means that we are to take the whole counsel of God. We are to take the Word of God for what it says. We are to take the Word of God for what it is. How it is to instruct us and lead us and guide us. We're not to just dumb down, I guess is the right word. We're not to dumb down and water down the Scriptures and try to make it apply to something that it doesn't apply to. Because every time you study and read the Word of God, I can't wait to get to, to, to 1 Corinthians 13. Because I've preached that passage, I've preached that, that chapter over and over again. What's 1 Corinthians 13? Anybody know that this is the what chapter? It's the love chapter. Hear it at every wedding you ever go to. Somebody, they're going to have 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. All they say. Guess what? In studying the book of 1 Corinthians, not just the passages from 1 Corinthians 13, and you'll hear this again later on. If you read back just the ending verses of chapter 12 and read through 13, you read it in a totally different light. Because the ending of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul's been talking about all these spiritual gifts. And he ends up saying, but seek you the better gifts. And then he talks about love for several verses. He talks about how we're to do everything in love, that we're to preach in love, we're to teach in love, we're to instruct in love, we're to guide, we're to minister, we're to do all these things in love. And you know what it says down at the, at the end of 1 Corinthians 13? It says these three remain. What? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Now I can't tell you how many times I've preached 1 Corinthians 13. I can't tell you how many times I've studied the book of 1 Corinthians, but studying back through this time, it's like, light bulb, all right? You, you, you know? It comes off, it's like, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about speaking in tongues. He's not talking about uh, gifts of healing. He's not talking about gifts of prophecy. He's talking about doing all of those things under the love of Christ. Because the love of Christ is the greatest gift. Now, why do I say that? Because it goes back to the weight of the responsibility of the Scripture. The weight of being a good steward of the mysteries of God. And in doing so, it's hard to do, but sometimes we have to re rebuff human judgment. Look at what he says there. He says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. What is he saying there? He said, I'm not worried about people's opinions. I'm not so caught up in being popular that I'm going to stop saying what the Word of God is. Where's Paul writing? Paul's writing in jail. He wasn't worried about being publicly accepted. He wasn't being publicly uh, 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 exalted. He wasn't lifted up and magnified. He wanted Jesus to be lifted up and magnified. He said, I'm not worried about what anybody says about me. If I look at my own life, I, it's hard for me to find something wrong. Isn't that, you, do you catch that there? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. Do you hear that, that attitude that he's got going on there? He said, I'm looking at my own life. I can't find anything wrong. Is he boasting? No, he's saying that it's not for me to judge. It's for God to judge. And I want to tell you, God's opinion weighs a whole lot heavier than my opinion and than your opinion. And that's what he's saying. He says that we've got to rebuff this human judgment. We've got to understand that it's not by human standards that we are to do our work for the Lord. It is by God's standard. And that's the other thing. We need to relish God's judgment. Look at verse 5 there. It says, Therefore judge nothing before it's time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. 
What's he saying there? He says that if I understand that your judgment doesn't mean anything and my judgment doesn't mean anything, but God's judgment means everything, then I'm going to live differently than I would under your judgment or my judgment. Make sense? God's coming back. He's going to bring everything to light. He's going to reveal all that has taken place in our lives. He's going to expose the acts of darkness and the things that, and the counsels of our heart. The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the man speaks. He's going to judge every idle word. The Bible says, and when we understand that, we live differently. We serve responsibly. Godly work desires God's judgment that results in praise. I love the, the parable that Jesus tells of the servants and when he, he commends the one, and we use that all the time as far as coming before God, and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. I long to hear that. that should be, there should be nothing else in our lives that motivate us beyond pleasing God. So where does that apply? You back up in the book of Hebrews. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God. If I'm not acting in faith, then my actions aren't pleasing to him. We've got to serve responsibly. Secondly, we've got to sacrifice willingly. Look at verse 6 there. We're going to read down through 13. It says, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did not indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? I mean, if, now if you did indeed receive it, I'm sorry. Why do you boast as if you had not received it? You were already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our hands, being revived, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. What is he saying there? He's saying, we've got to be willing to sacrifice. He's telling the church, you know what? Stop arguing about what you're arguing about. That, that goes back to the division that he was talking about. I'm in Apollos and I'm in Paul and, I, and so on and so forth. He said, look, we're just going to take all that on ourselves. We're going to pray to the Lord for your forgiveness. You just leave all that alone. We're going to sacrifice willingly. We're going to come through and we're going to intercede on your behalf. Have you ever wanted to do that? Have you ever seen somebody that was so caught up in their sin that you just had to hit your knees and pray for them because you were so concerned about them? I hope you have. I hope that you've seen somebody in their sin and you've been so brokenhearted that you said, Lord, if I could just take it upon myself that they could get away with it, I would. 
That's what intercession is. Intercession is pleading with the Lord on behalf of somebody else. In verse 6, that's what he's talking about. I figuratively transferred all this on myself and Apollos for your sakes that you can just get away from all that and think beyond what's written. Don't worry about, you know, taking something out of context. Understand that God has a purpose and plan for your life. And then he begins to encourage them. He says, you're already full. You're already rich. You've reigned as king. Why do you want more? Dissatisfaction has killed the faith of more Christians than I care to even think about. Dissatisfaction. So caught up in what's going on with somebody else somewhere else that you fail to see the blessings of what God has done in your own life. How many of you know the parable of the prodigal son? You know that story? When, when I preach it, I'm always drawn to that older son. Amen. I'm always drawn to that guy. Because, because he is the epitome of what I call the dissatisfied Christian. He's back there whining and moping and moaning because daddy's all excited because the other boy come home. Hey, daddy, I've been here the whole time. I've been a good boy. You ain't never done that for me. And we do that. We do that as Christians. We see somebody who has been caught up in their sin, somebody who has been struggling, come, and the church rallies around them or the family rallies around them and celebrates them. And you kind of sit back like, well, that's so special about them. I've been working my whole life trying to please the Lord. You, know, you might not say it out loud, but we do it. And we see that in this passage of Scripture. Paul said, look, get away from all that squabbling. Get away from all that envy. Get away from all that covetousness. And understand what the will of God is for you. You're already full. You're already rich. You reign as kings among men because of the salvation that has been given to you. Now, how hard is it? Now, let me show you this from Paul's point of view. How hard is it for a man who's out there doing everything he can to survive for the gospel, knowing that he's going to be in prison, knowing that he's ultimately going to be executed for what he believes in, to tell somebody else how rich they are? Can you imagine being in chains and telling somebody else how, how well they've got it off instead of just whining about how bad we've got it? So we see that, and we see it through humility and through selflessness. There's a, several things that he says here, uh, starting in verse 9, where he talks about the apostles being set up as an example, men condemned to death as a spectacle to the world, that they were fools for Christ's sake. Here's the thing. There's a few things that, 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 that I want you to see about Paul right here. Number one, a godly leader is not concerned with image. He's not caught up with image. Paul says, we're, we're like fools. People look at us and say, why in the world would you live like that? There are Christians today who, who firmly buy into that and they just give away everything and they do what God's called them to do. And, 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 and you know, we need to get that point of view that, that we can be out of our minds for the work of Christ. Godly leadership is not concerned with image. Godly leadership is not consumed by possessions. He said, we hunger and thirst and, and you guys, you're eating well, you're doing good. He, said, he says that we're not afraid to work with our hands, verse 12, and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. They were not driven by these opinions. And, and look, I want you to see a couple of words here down in verse 13. The last part of it, he says, we have been made as the filth of the world 
the off-scouring of all things until now. Here's how worried Paul was about somebody's opinion. How many of you throw that word around, off-scouring? That's a word that you use all the time. You know what that word means? It literally means where you've scrubbed something and it's the gunk that's left after you've scrubbed it. Yeah, you ever fried up a hamburger and you, you cooked the, you went to the sink and you washed that out and you went to drain the sink and there's all that nasty good down in the bottom of the sink? That's what he's talking about. When you have taken something that was filthy and you scrubbed it off and all you've got left with is the filth. Paul said that's how the world sees us. And he was proud of it. Not proud in a boastful sense, but proud in the, that he had the honor of serving Christ in that capacity. Most of us, myself included, value other people's opinions far too much. When we make decisions in our lives, we make decisions first and foremost of how it pleases us. Typically, secondly, of how it pleases other people. Somewhere down the line, we might bring God into the mix. But Paul says we're going to sacrifice willingly. We're going to do whatever it takes. Though the world be against us, we are going to stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do you know what happened? Paul and his, those that went with him turned the world upside down for Jesus. Paul would have loved to have had this many people walking with him every day, serving the Lord, telling them about the Lord, that they might be able to set a fire in that area and tell others about Christ. Paul would have loved to have had that, but sometimes it was just him and Silas or him and Barnabas or him and Timothy going all over the place, doing all that they could to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were willing to sacrifice so the gospel might go forward. That is a gift to the church. That the church might be able to know and have godly examples. He gets into some other godly examples from the Old Testament further along in 1 Corinthians. But we'll talk about that later. Here we see servants serving responsibly, sacrificing willingly. And let's look at the last part of this chapter here starting in verse 14. Paul takes a turn. and You see the love of his heart. For this church, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of, the, uh, of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in the word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod? Are in love and a spirit of gentleness. Do you see the fatherly heart in that passage? Do you see how he's so concerned with the church? He says, I'm telling you not to shame you, not to put you down. But because I love you, I want to warn you. You are my children. You are, I've begotten you in the Lord. Now, 
needless to say, Paul didn't save anybody. But he led these people to Christ. He started this church. He saw the work of the Lord begin there. And now it breaks his heart to see what they're doing, to see the choices that they're making. And he's pleading with them as a parent, as one who is so concerned for them. I, I don't know if any of you have people in your life that you can relate to like that. Of course, I, I love my children. I know you love your children, but... But there are, some, there are some young men that I try to keep in touch with that I saw come to Christ as teenagers. Just once in a while, I'll get a phone call. Hey, Brother Chad, what you up to? We'll talk, and, and they're going through this, and they've gotten married, or they've got kids, or they're serving in a church, or they've moved off, or they're, you know, and we just catch up. And I'll just hang up the phone and I'm just, you know what I'm saying? Because you can look back and say, I, I know that kid. And I know what he could have been. Now I see what he is. Paul says that. He tells his church, he says, I have compassion for you. I call, I call you out on this. I, I mean, these hard things that he said in chapter 3 where he's talking about the flesh and how they're so divisive. He's going to get into some real hard things in chapter 5 when we get into there. Just the, the, the deep, deep sin that is going on in that church. But in the midst of this, he says, I'm telling you all this not to shame you, but because I love you, because I want to warn you, I want to keep you out of harm's way. I remember years ago, I was talking about, you know, I was talking about the fair a while ago, but I remember years ago being out of the fair the first time I ever saw one of the kid leashes. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You're going through a crowd and here comes a mama and she's got a kid on a leash. And, and used to when I was, you know, before I had kids, I'm like, well, that's just me. And then I had kids. Do they sell those in bulk? You know? Um, but why do they do that? Not, you know, not to embarrass the child, but so the child might be safe. So that when they're out there and all the hustle and bustle and people bumping up against each other, that they're still tied to mama. They're still tied to daddy. They're able to get through. And that's what Paul's doing. He's telling them, I want to keep you safe. And he expresses to them in verse 15 here this love. He said, for though you might have 10,000 instructors, you've just got one spiritual daddy. You've just got one fellow who's led you to Jesus that cares for you in this way. And he, he exemplifies it to them. He shares it with them. He says, I urge you to imitate me. I'll tell you, that is hard. How many of us today can say, look, you want to live like Jesus? Just follow me. That's tough. But that's what we're to strive for. We're to strive for this parental concern. We're to strive for this pleading that says, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I've made. I don't want you to get hung up in the same sin that I was hung up in. I want you to stay true to the calling of the gospel. And he says that in verse 17 about this consistency. He says, I go everywhere in every church. I reflect this consistency in my life. I, he preaches the same thing everywhere to every person he came across. And I think that's one of the greatest attributes of Paul when you read the New Testament. Is he was the same wherever he went. Now he said, I've become all things to all people that by all means some might be saved. But he never changed his message. 
He never changed what it was he was telling them. Christ was the way of salvation. But let me look at this last verse here real quick. Verse 21. He says, what do you want? What do you want? Shall I come at you with a rod? Or with love and a spirit of discipline? If you want somebody to be obedient, the rod helps. If you've ever got a spanking or had to give a spanking, you know what I'm talking about. Scripture says you take the whole counsel of God, spare the rod, spoil the child. Sometimes you have to discipline. Alright? But if you want faithfulness, that comes through love and gentleness. That comes through exemplifying the work of the Lord. And you need both. But Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture, basically he's saying, I could come and just kick you behind us. He said, but I'm coming with a spirit of love because I'm so concerned for your salvation. I'm sending Timothy ahead of me. And if the Lord wills, I'm going to be there too. And I want to see by the time I come that you have straightened some things out. And boy, they needed some things straightened out. If you've been reading 1 Corinthians, you read ahead in chapter 5, you know what's going on. That's some, that's some stuff happening. All right? We're bringing it back to the message today. God has gifted us in this. He has given us His message. He's given us His grace. He's given us uh, the, the, the body of Christ that we can be a part of. He's given us godly counsel and godly leadership, and that is a gift. Close with this. We read with, in our Sunday school lesson this morning about a pastor in China that was arrested. 20 years I think he spent in jail and he went right back out and he began to, to lead people to Christ and every year they have a public baptism. Now you, you might not know what that means to say that in China, but these people that come out in public and are baptized in a river in front of everybody, they risk being alienated by their families. They risk losing everything they own. They risk being put in jail and heavily persecuted. All these things could happen to them. But because of his concern for the church, that man come right back out preaching the gospel, leading people to Jesus. I guess my question to us this morning is this. How far are you willing to go to serve the Lord?